0: Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Circe Podcast. If you'd like to get connected to what God is doing at the Circe campus, you can text the word Circe to 88000. There you can give online, get connected to a life group, find your place in a serve team, and so much more. You can also find today's message notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Just tap the link in the episode description to follow along during the sermon and save notes directly to your phone. Now prepare your hearts to hear a great word from God today. Want you high five somebody around you, and then you can be seated today. We're gonna hop right into the word this morning. So thankful for all of you being here. It's been a, a beautiful couple of days. Uh, I've really enjoyed just seeing the sun come up and hitting ice-covered trees and landscape, and but still being able to get out on the road. You know, I don't. I hate it when I can't go anywhere, um, and I drive my family nuts. Um, but when the roads are clear and it's still pretty, I love that. So. But thank you for being here this morning, for getting out, joining us, for all of you joining online. Thank you uh, for being with us. I am going to be uh, teaching a very short two-part series this morning, um, uh, both parts taking place this morning. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'm going to do one this week, one next. I tried to get it all in, but I just can't. And um, it's going to be on a different topic uh, than I've taught on in, in, a, in a while And I'm simply calling this mean people and what to do with them, okay? Mean people and what what to do with them. You could call this message also Alabama fans and what to do with them, okay? But uh, I'm going to stick with mean people and what to do about them. Um, I want to put us all just kind of uh, on some level ground, and I want you to raise your hand if you've ever dealt with a mean person. Just raise your hand, yeah. Just a mean-spirited person, okay. Now, if you married them and had kids, I want you to just raise <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, by mean people, um, I'm implying just that. So I'm going to talk about um, people who would be deceptive. Uh, this would be hurtful people. People who use other people. Or control other people. This would be that that person that or persons that when you see them coming, you dodge them. So uh, you get something happens in you. You may not even be able to describe it, but something happens in you when you see them. You it might might be anger. It might be frustration. It might be sadness. Uh, but you know for sure you don't want to interact with them. So you're at Harps, they're coming down aisle three, and you need to be on aisle three. So instead of going down aisle three, you'll loop down to five and do a loop-de-loop. And you'll cut a right down aisle five, get to the end of aisle five, cut back again, and come on the backside of aisle three because you want to dodge them. You don't want to have anything to do with them. Uh, Those are the people I'm talking about. But I have to be clear in that all of us have probably at some point been mean ourselves. So as I ask you, um, for the next couple of weeks, I want you to get a mental picture of that person who has been mean in your life. And it may be somebody from the past. It may be somebody in the present. It may be somebody that you go home with today. Um, but I want you to just get an image of them, and I want you to hold that for the next two weeks, and that may be challenging for you to do because it's an emotional thing for you, but I want you to, to try and do that. But again, to put us on level playing field here is that someone in this room or in this community, if they were listening to this message and I had challenged them to think of the mean person in their life, it might have been you or me. They might have said, you know, Kevin said this to me one time or, um, you know, it hurt hurt my feelings or, you know, we don't go there anymore because Kevin did this or that. He was mean. Um, It might be about you. Somewhere in the world might be an ex-spouse, ex-friend, ex-boss, ex-place that you don't want to be with anymore, and you will dodge them because in your interpretation of them, they are mean. So I, I'm not going to discount that any of us have the potential to be, be mean. I'm not going to make this little two-part series in us versus the mean people. But I am going to focus on how to respond and react to mean people in our lives. And the reason I think this is important is because if we don't have a plan for mean people, a few things happen. Okay, First, the mean people in our lives can gain a measure of control over our lives. And what I mean by that is typically it becomes an emotional control. You think of them, and then you feel a certain way, and you don't like the way you feel when you think of them. So... You've got this mean individual in your life. Occasionally you bump up against them or you have to live life with them or they sign your check on Friday, whatever it is, but you've got meanness in a certain compartmentalized area in your life and you really don't know how to deal with it. And in the South, we talk a lot about saying, that person really pushes my buttons. What that means is I was fine and great until they showed up until I came across them, until I saw them today at whatever restaurant or whatever store. But if we don't have a plan, we continue to give people control over our lives. The second part of that, and the reason that we need a plan, is because without one, when we are caught off guard by mean people, we have a tendency to react to them. And we respond with the same measure of meanness that we've been given. So because someone was mean to us, we rise up and we give back to them with the same measure that they were giving to us, and sometimes more. And it is uh, uh, this becomes very hard to preach in a church, especially in the South, because everything we've been taught is about Southern hospitality, Right? I mean, even our tea is sweet. So it's, it's very hard to go, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be this individual who says yes, ma'am, and no, sir, and opens doors, but in the same breath say, you're not going to walk over me like a doormat either. And it's in our culture, our southern culture to say, stand up for yourself. Don't be somebody's doormat. If they give it to you, you give it right, right back. And it becomes... Um, a, a conflict. It becomes a dichotomy of going, I believe one way, but man, when I get around that mean person, I feel a certain way and I tend to react. And we do this, we, we react because we feel like we don't have a choice. Like, you said this to me. You caught me in public. You did this openly. You You sent me that email. You said it. You did it. You behaved a certain way. And you left me with no choice but to strike out at you. And the reason we feel we don't have a choice is because mean people will keep us off balance. Now, you don't know what you're walking into a lot of times when you're dealing with mean, mean people. Robbie will... Joke with me sometimes about this, and 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 sometimes get on to me about it. But there are some times, and maybe it's the way I was raised, maybe it's the, the stereotypical masculinity. I don't know what it is, but if if sometimes when people catch me off guard, I will just say back to them, "What did you just say?" And I want them to know, I heard what what you said, but I'm in such disbelief that you either spoke to me this way, said it in the environment you said it in, said it in front of our whole family at Thanksgiving, said it up front at the church, said it in the foyer, said it in harps, whatever it is, you said it, and now I'm uncomfortable and I wanna react and I wanna come back at you, but I'm trying to maintain integrity. And what happens when you're off balance? You try to compensate, right? I um, sometimes I will watch these YouTube videos, and you know how it works. You watch one, they send you three more, along the same lines. And I was watching this series of of YouTube videos. They were hilarious of people getting shoved, <laughs> and it was like being shoved into swimming pools, and and people who are standing on the ledge of buildings, and somebody just comes up beside them and you know grabs them, and it's the whole compensation part. That, that is is funny. It's not if they fall into the pool. Nobody cares about that. It's it's the compensating. It's the oh, you know the the fear grips them and their knees buckle and their arms start to swim and and that's the funny part. And that's what people do to you when they are mean. They shove you emotionally. And everything in you looks funny and feels funny because you're trying to compensate not to say something that you're going to re- re- regret. Say something that's going to embarrass your family. Say something that's going to embarrass Jesus. Say something that's going to be out of of your character or speak a word that you normally don't speak. And you're compensating because meanness causes us to be off balance. And this is why either you or someone around you will notice when these people come into your life, they will point it out, out to you that you're acting differently. An example of that would be for some of you holidays are not good and so maybe a couple of days up to Thanksgiving lunch I'm making this up but you know some of you might begin to get a little antsy because you know there might be a conflict with that mean person or maybe on on a Sunday you can't even come into this place and give an hour of sacredness and and back back to God and really consecrate it because you're already thinking about who you're going to see tomorrow at At your job, and it robs you of something spiritually, and so you're spending your life compensating, trying you know feeling like 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 you're shoved, but you got to keep it together, and you really want to react, you want to blow up you want to keep a list of snarky comments in your pocket so that you can just let them fly but it's very very difficult because we are compensating emotionally, and sometimes that ends up compensating with behavior, and sometimes it means we have to compensate spiritually. Because everything in our nature wants to react and say what I want to say and do what I want to do to that person. I've shared this with you a few times, but I've had some tough ministry placement in my my, my past. I've worked for some very tough people, and one of those circumstances, I was 1,000 miles away. It was a hard move, no connection, no friend. I didn't know this pastor. He didn't know me. We tried to just make a connection, try to make it fast. And, and what happened was what, what we call a cold hire, meaning that uh, we didn't take that church because we knew the people of the pastor or a friend of a friend. It was just cold. He, just, he needed somebody. I was ready to go do something. And so um, we, by chance made a connection, and I ended up there. Immediately, it went really bad. Like I knew this wasn't a good connection. I loved the people, but I was really struggling with him and the staff, and I, I, wasn't, I wasn't connected at all. I found myself isolating quickly, uh, pulling back, making excuses not, not to go to meetings, and, and so on. And uh, the work days were, were brutal on you. The passive aggressiveness was amazing, just uh, loads of emails with unattainable goals that had to be achieved within unrealistic time frames, Uh, the big asks of us. We we were up all hours of the night trying to fulfill things, uh, embarrassing things on the weekends. Uh, he would have me come forward uh, on a Sunday, and it was a large church. He would have me come forward, and he would make, make fun of me. He would have me, like, break dance in front of, of the church, and he would have me do all these antics and stuff that just made, made me look silly. And he would say, you better do it, or I, w- I won't sign, sign your check this weekend. He would say that in front of the whole church. It was just embarrassing to me. And it wasn't working, and after 90 days, I came home, Uh, For Christmas, and we stayed with Robbie's parents over that that holiday. And the whole holiday, we were just antsy that we even had to go back. And we sat up all night thinking and talking. You know, we got to go back. We've only been there 90 days. This is just an awful thing. And, And so we did. We went back, and we endured it, and we endured it until we couldn't endure it anymore. And one night, I felt myself Turning. And I was thinking of ways to, you know, I was always taught do not mess with the ministry, walk away, don't do anything that would, that would hurt the, the church. And so I'm thinking, I just got to get out of here. And, and I'm calling my friends saying, what do I do? And I'm calling pastors that I've been with before saying, what do I do? And I'm trying to gather all this stuff. And one night I'm laying in bed and I realize it's like two or three o'clock in the morning. And I'm thinking, and suddenly my thoughts turned to things that I could do to him. Not not like hurt him physically, but hurt him Uh, emotionally, hurt his leadership, hurt his reputation, how I could start a fire over here that would be hard for him to handle. And it was just maniacal, and it was poor leadership on my part. And I was sitting there thinking about it one night, just thinking, 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 and I felt a like a fly or a bug coming down my my face, and I went to hit it and realized I had just been sweating, thinking so hard, and I was so worked up about what I wanted to do to this guy that sweat had just come on me. And I realized in that moment that I had, in some weird way, his meanness to me was making me more like him than like Christ, who I was trying to represent. And it's not just like, hey, I want to be a good follower of Jesus. It was, I was in the ministry with this person. And so it was very, very hard, and it's so difficult to be good to people who are not good people. I don't know how many of you re- remember the golden rule. I- I'm going to put it up, up, up here for you, and I want you to say this out loud with me, okay? Let's do it together. Do unto others, come on, as you would have them do unto you. Now, we all grew up quoting this and, 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 and trying to give it a scripture re- reference, or, and you grew up saying it in Awanas or Royal Rangers or Boy Scouts or whatever, whatever you, you were in. And this is a great mantra, until you're mistreated. It's great. I will live my life by that. I'm going to do to others as I would have them do unto me. It's so good. Until you feel disrespected or someone you love gets mistreated or disrespected. In the South, I grew up with, with a dad or, and, and grandfathers who would say, you know what? You can say whatever you want to me, but if you say that to her, I can't, you know, promise you won't be in the hospital later. It was this warning, a threat like I'm tough and I can take it, but if you mess with somebody I love. You say that to one of my kids? It's on. And today it's worse because it's like, oh, you, you, you want to say that? Fine. I will take it to Facebook. I will take it to Instagram. I, I, I will post something so nasty about you, it'll take you weeks to clean it up. And because of that, we translate, we, we transpose rather from the golden rule to the iron rule. Now, that's not a real rule. I just made it up. But it sounds th- this way. Do unto others as they have done to you. Or do worse to others as they have done unto you and we like this now let me let me tell you why the iron rule or do unto others as they have done unto you it seems natural because it is it's tethered to survival instinct it's in you biologically to react and respond to the equivalent or higher than what you've been given it seems right, it seems justified, it seems fair. And let's go a step further, and this is gonna sound maniacal, but it feels good. When you see your enemy get it, when you see that mean person fall, and especially if it's your tongue or your deed, it feels good to you. It releases endorphins in you. You're like, this is pleasurable for me. I enjoy seeing harm come to you the way you harmed me. It feels right. Let's take it a step further. Sometimes when we're mistreated and you feel powerless to that person, we will often take it out on someone who is not even involved or someone who was not even in your life when someone was mean to you. Now what I'm saying is this, you can transfer your angst. Someone can be mean to you and because you can't rise up, because it's your boss or someone of influence or you can't reach them, Man, you you can take that mean energy and grab it and hold it and take it over here and throw it at your dog or your kid or a friend or a spouse. You can unleash it. And then that iron rule becomes this. Do unto others as someone else has done unto you. And this turns into a merry-go-round you can't get off of. Remember when you were kids and you'd actually go to a park and there were merry-go-rounds? And you would get on and your friend would spin it, spin it and spin it and spin it and spin it. And then you had to try to get off of it and it never went well? Yeah, and then you grew up and you learned physics and you were like, makes sense. This is what we do emotionally, relationally, spiritually. We're on this cycle. I'm giving you evil for evil for evil for evil for evil for evil. And you can't get off of it. And it's like, man, I'll... I, I want to change it, but the ante just keeps on getting higher and keeps getting higher. And now I'm doing something to you that's even more. It's, it's more than you gave me. And then you'll be creative, and you'll think of something to get back at me with, and you'll say something worse, and then I'll say something worse. And before too long, I mean, it's, it's just you. You would draw a line in the sand if, if, if you could and just duke it out. So here's the big question. What do we do? with mean people. You can't ignore them. That's not going to get us ahead. You can't get even with them. That doesn't get get you ahead either. But there's a third option that allows us to have a plan. And a plan keeps us from having to compensate. So I want to transition into the Bible today. I'm going to tee this up really nice for next week. The way forward on this, or to get ahead, is taught by by Jesus. But it's also revealed in a person of the Old Testament that you may or may have never heard of this person. This individual is intertwined into the story of David. Not not the story of King David or Shepherd Boy David, which we all know, but Fugitive David. David on on the run. David scared. David who Saul wants to kill. David who's killed a giant and he's been anointed, but now he lives in fields and caves and he's on, on the run. That, that David is where this story comes out. Now I'm going to read to you from 1 Samuel 25 today. And I'm going to read 10 verses. But I'm going to go through them quickly. And I just want you to absorb this story. I'm going to bring out just a couple things. 1 Samuel 25 verse 2. A certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was wealthy. He had 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep. Keep in mind, this is ancient writing, so this would have been a big deal. Okay? Now, when we read it in modern times, it sounds funny. Like, what does that even mean for me? Okay, so read, read that with, he had a garage with a lot of cars in it. His name was Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail. And she was intelligent and beautiful, but her husband was short-tempered and mean in his dealings. And while David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent 10 young men and said to him, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Okay? So David is saying, I know who I am. I know I've killed a giant. I know I'm famous. People have sung about me in in the streets. Saul has publicized this thing. People are going to know me. Tell him you're coming in my name. I'm a big deal. And say to him, long life to you, good health to you in your house, good health to all that is yours. Okay, again, an ancient greeting of prosperity and health. Verse seven, he says, now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. This is David's message to Nabal. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Here's some context. David and 600 outlaws are camped out in the field. Right next to them is Nabal and his shepherds. David is a man of character and integrity, so he is not letting anything happen to those shepherds or those sheep. None of those men even took a sheep. They didn't eat a single sheep. There was no conflict. There was no problem, which was often the case when people were sharing property. Nothing happened. It was smooth. As a matter of fact, David goes on in verse 8, and he says, Ask your servants, and they will tell you. This is what happened. Therefore, he says, be favorable toward my men since we come at a festive time. Give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. So David's men arrived. They gave Nabal the message in David's name and they waited. And Nabal answered David's servants. Watch this. Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I've slaughtered and give it to men coming from who knows where? So David's men turned around and went back. And when they arrived, they reported every word, verse 13. And David said to each man, each of you strap on your sword. And they did. And David strapped on his as well. This did not go over well. Keep in mind that David is a violent man. This is who he is. He was so violent, he wanted to build the Lord a temple and he said, you've killed too many people. Your son can do it, but you, you can't. You are a violent man. The Bible tells us he would go into communities and kill everybody. Every man, every woman, every child, every animal. It was a takeover, a complete annihilation of a community. And David feels this welling up in him. Like I am on the run I am hungry, which makes me hangry. And now you haven't fed us. We protected you. We let nobody. We could have gone over there and snatched sheep from you every night, and we did not do it. And all we're asking for is a little something to eat, and you're going to come back with who is David. I know you know who I am. Everybody get a sword on. We're going to go show this guy. And David puts on his as well. Now keep in mind, chronologically, four chapters ago, you want to know what David did? He ran into the priest, Ahimelech, and he says, I'm hungry. And he gave him the showbread from the tabernacle. And then he says, I need a sword to defend myself. And he gave him the sword of Goliath. I believe because of chronological order, this is the sword David's putting on. So David is putting on, symbolically, a sword that represents God's provision, God's protection, God's ability to provide and overcome. And David is so mad, he's blind to it. I'm going to come down there. Everybody, get get your sword on. I'm going to come down there, Nabal, and I'm going to show you something. You're going to be mean to me, I'll show you mean. I've destroyed cities. I've killed giants. I've burned things to the ground. And now you are next on my list. It just came on him. Just country boy David. And David redirects his anger that he is feeling from the pressure of Saul and his wife and these men and hunger And God and his character and his violent personality, all of these things are conflicted in him. And in 1 Samuel 25, chapter 13, it says 400 men went with him. This was going to be a slaughter. You've heard it said that hurt people hurt people. But in this case, hunted people hunt people. David's quoted a few verses later, and he's talking about the, the situation. He says, it's been useless. All my watching over this guy's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing, he's paid me back evil for good. And watch, watch what he says here. May God deal with David ever so severely if by morning I leave alive one male who belongs to him. He's going to kill them all. What do you mean, David, who? I'm going to kill your sons over that. Are y'all tracking with me? Hopefully this is on the stuff that we're dealing with now in modern times is at a lesser scale than this. But you, you get the gist of it. How something so small and seems insignificant said by the right person at the right time can explode something in you. So let me quickly conclude this and set it up for next week. We have two characters. We're going to talk about the third next week. Two characters, none of them are doing the right thing. Nabal is giving evil for good. David protected him, didn't steal from him. And he says, I don't care about any of that. I don't need you. I was fine before you ever came into this field. I'll be fine when you leave. He gave evil for good. David is going to give evil evil for evil and the cycle of the merry-go-round would continue so what I want to do to tee this up for next week is I'm going to ask you quickly four questions if you're a note taker I want you to write these down I want you to think about them because we're going to talk about them in depth next week the four questions are tough and they're as follows the first one do you want to be even with someone you don't even like Do you want to get even with somebody whose soul you're not even knit to? Do you want to get even with somebody that you would not even invite back to your dinner table? Why would we want to get even with somebody we don't even want to have coffee with? When the truth is God is protecting you and helping you, and he has held some people at bay, he has cut some people out of your life for a reason... to get even with those people. I don't even like them. So the second question to that is this. Wouldn't you rather get ahead of that person? Why would I want to be even when I can get ahead? And here's how. Because I want to be as much unlike that person as I possibly can. It's like that pastor I serve. I don't want to be like him. So how I get ahead is recognizing what he's done to me and not do it to somebody else or return it to him. My wife can verify this. When I got in the U-Haul trailer to leave that church that I was sharing with you about, out loud, we looked at each other and I said, I promise you, if I ever have a church staff I won't treat them the way we we were just treated. Why? Because I don't want to be like those mean people. Third question is this. What story do you and I really want to tell? Okay. When we sit with our kids or our life group or whomever one day and we're sharing the story of our life, do we want to share with them, hey, son, hey, daughter, don't do what I did or do we want to be able to say, let me tell you with great surety how to deal with mean people. And I can tell you this because this is a road I've traveled. Don't, don't we want to be able to say that? Don't we want to be able to share wisdom and our experiences with people from being in the driver's seat, not from being pulled behind by the tow truck trying to pick our mess up? We want to be able to say, listen. I know how to deal with mean, mean people. I know how to keep you from always feeling like you got to compensate. I, I know how to keep you from having to carry around a bunch of snarky comments in your pocket and just free your life up. What story do you want to tell? And fourth, and I'm going to end, end with this today. And th- th- This is hard, okay? Th- this is the hardest one. But we're, we're going to talk about this ne- next week. What would it look like to return good for evil. Whew. Kevin, wait, wait, wait a minute, okay. You're saying not just to refuse evil. You're saying not just to ignore them. You're saying to intentionally and purposefully be good to those that are evil to me. This is such an uncomfortable space. In us. You want to know why? Everything about you says don't do it. Your biology says don't do it. Your intellect says don't do it. Your country culture, don't you be a doormat for somebody. That's what your culture's saying. Don't you do it. And so, It's hard to think about. I'm not going to think and spend my intellect on how I can be mean to you, but how I could bless you and how that honors my life and leaves a legacy in my life. Here's why. The only people who can do that are people who are full of the Holy Spirit following Jesus any other reason you you can't make one up because it's not in you it hasn't been taught to you the culture is is against it your body is against it your mind is against it your emotions are against it everything in you your whole existence is against this unless you are operating by the holy spirit only goodness can come out of you and be poured onto a mean person when you're full of the spirit So this is what Jesus says. He says, I want you to be good to people who mistreat you. Man. You know what that makes me want to say? Are you serious right now, Lord? Are you serious right now? Like, I like it when you talk about heaven or prosperity or forgiving me. I love that. But when you want me to be good to somebody who mistreats me, or my wife, or my kid. Mm, I don't know. But this is what stops the cycle and frees you. This is what allows you and I, watch, to be remarkable people. This is what allows somebody to look at you and go, how in the world are they doing that? Full of the Spirit, following Jesus, doing what he says. I'm not asking you to like it, but I'm asking you to do it because Jesus did. Be good to those who mistreat you. I'm going to pick up there next week, but I want you to bow your heads with me really quick today. I want to pray over us, God. There may be dozens of people in this room today who have an image in their mind right now of a mean person. Someone who is mean to them. Someone who they know is up at night wringing their hands with a yellow notepad and a... Papermate mate pen coming up with a plan to harm them but Lord today I'm going to do what is completely uncomfortable I'm going to give up all the comments I'm going to take this gun and I'm going to take all the ammo out I'm going to delete the post that I was preparing to put on there. I'm going to forget all the snarky comments that I'm just waiting on the perfect opportunity to hurl at somebody. And you know what I'm going to be, Lord? I'm just going to be good. If I see that person harps, I'm going to be good. If I see them in line at burrito day, I'm going to be good. When I see them at an intersection or at a ball game, I'm going to be good. Because that's what you want me to do. And in so doing, somewhere in the future, somewhere in my life, you are going to bless my socks off. because I'm obeying you. It may not be the karma that I want. It may not be the embarrassment that I wanna cause them. But I know your reward is aimed toward me. So I pray you free every person in here today from their mean person. Open their hands that wall they're building around their heart today, Lord, would you just tear it down? Would you just come in and just tear that down? We want to be good. In Jesus' name we pray.